You're listening to the Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts, Howard Schweitzer and Mark Alderman. Mark, Caitlin and Patrick, good morning. It is Saturday, January 9th. What a week. I don't think it's a stretch to say that this has been, guys, one of the most consequential weeks, <laughs> literally in the history of the country. And, and by the way, from a couple of perspectives. But the events at the Capitol, halls in which we and many of our friends work and walk and w- which we know really well, the, those events were, they were despicable and, and disgusting. And, and obviously, I just want to say that as a firm, we condemn them and the actions that inspired them, most especially the words of the president in the strongest possible terms. They were the antithesis of the rule of law, which is what we as a firm work to uphold and shape every single day. And as I see it, You guys can offer your own views, but what happened on Wednesday was the culmination of four years of dangerous and baseless rhetoric and misinformation. There's no question in my mind that if this were the middle of his term, Trump would be impeached and removed from office, and frankly, by both parties. But it's not. Trump should resign, but he won't. The VP in the cabinet could exercise the 25th Amendment and Congress can impeach. But impeachment will delay the launch of the Biden administration because a trial in the Senate shuts down all other Senate business and means delaying the confirmation for his cabinet appointees during a global pandemic that's costing thousands of lives per day. So, For our listeners, we are going to try, emphasis on try, to be analytical and talk through what we think this all means and and what will happen. So so let's start there. Mark, what should the House do and what happens next? Well, the House must act. I do not think it is an option to do nothing, the oath of office that every member of the House swore to uphold and defend the Constitution requires that some action be taken. It can be and is most likely to be an impeachment again of the president, but it could also be something less dramatic and drastic, although the circumstances certainly justify the the remedy of impeachment, conviction, and removal. And by the way, those come with a ban on further and future office holding. It could be a, a censure of Trump, and at a minimum, at a minimum, the House must do that. But I think, Howard, the argument that an impeachment will impede the launch of the Biden administration is is right and wrong both. Yes, it, it will be time and focus taken 
from what the agenda would otherwise be, most especially, most immediately confirming uh, his nominations for the cabinet. But, but also, it is the only way to remove this, this traitor from future uh, office. And, and I think it's a very close judgment call which way the House should go. But I think the call has already been made. I, I think yeah. what we think is is obviously secondary to a great majority of the of the House itself, not just the Democratic caucus. Congress believes he mm-hmm. should be removed. The country believes he should be removed. I think we're going to see an impeachment this week. I personally think that um, it's not a close call. I mean, like I just said, this is one of the this was one of the most consequential weeks in the history of the country. We had a band of crazy people, fringe elements of the country storming the United States Capitol. The videos, which we've all watched, are are beyond description and i don't think i don't think you can and the president fanned the flames and i i don't think you can do anything other than impeach and not because not because he may run for office again but because of the precedent like the president told people to storm the capitol that cannot stand well let's just be clear, uh, the president organized this ride. The president brought these people to Washington. The president directed this riot. And then he applauded it as it was happening from the White House. So I could not agree more that this is the clearest case for removal from office. He should resign. But the vice president should invoke the 25th Amendment. He appears not to be willing to do that. And that leaves Congress with the constitutional remedy of impeachment. I I agree with you. Patrick. And so does the speaker and and a majority of the House. But but it it does delay the launch of the Biden administration because getting his cabinet appointees into those jobs during a global pandemic when Three to four thousand people are dying every day in this country is is absolutely critical and it delays that by weeks. So, Patrick, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it does delay it. I think if you were to survey Biden's cabinet, they would probably be supportive of of having a temporary delay to pursue impeachment. I think I I totally agree with Mark, uh, pretty much everything Mark said about how it's a really close call. Um, that I think the real tipping point <clears throat> is the implications on future office holding. Um, you know, in Illinois, we impeached a governor uh, not dissimilar from our current president, a, a reality TV star kind of crazy person, and he's not ever allowed to run uh, for governor again. And so the the real question will be for senators if the House votes to impeach, even though the trial will certainly happen uh, after he's out of office, this is their opportunity to say, we don't want this guy to run for president again. We don't want him to have the option. Uh, and it's their true kind of test and ability to say, we're moving on from all of this. Yeah. Okay. Caitlin, thoughts? 
I think he absolutely should resign. Um, what we saw on Wednesday was heartbreaking and abhorrent and despicable and every adjective in the book. These neo-Nazis and white supremacists and this angry, nasty mob of people that breached the Capitol walls, in my view, are no way representative of the Republican Party. Um, I would like to see him resign if he has any shred of integrity, if Jared, Ivanka, his advisors, the family have any shred of integrity left. I hope they're seriously trying to encourage him to resign. I do personally worry that invoking the 25th Amendment or um, a move to impeach again is going to further stoke some of the tensions that we're seeing, which is why, again, I would hope that he would consider resigning, though I have little expectation that that will actually happen. Yeah, that's exactly why he won't. Um, So... I mean, look, I, I think I mean, Lisa Murkowski called overnight for him to to step down. If if the chorus grows loud enough, then then perhaps. Um, but all right, stepping back from that, because some clearly something's gonna happen. Um at a minimum censure. He's going to be, there's going to be impeachment, I, I believe, and, and that's the way it's going to go. But um, what does this mean now as far as the ability for the country to come together and the ability to get things done in Washington? What does it mean for Biden as he takes the reins of, of government? Patrick. I think I've noted, you know, as we've talked on and off this week, I've noted, I think President-elect Biden has been uh, masterful and statesmanlike in how he has handled all of this. And that's in contrast to how I think some other Democratic politicians, were they in the same situation, might have handled it. You know, you can see people coming out and chastising the party and calling out individual senators. Uh, Biden hasn't done that. He, He recognizes he is about to take over at a a very, very divided time for the country. And he's just lived a life and has experienced and and understands how challenging these times are and how divided we are. And I think he just feels it inside of him that it is his duty to try and move us past this. And so I I think I'm hopeful based on some of the rhetoric we've seen following uh, the attacks on the Capitol, that maybe there's enough of a feeling by everyone separate from kind of basic partisanship that we just got to tone everything down, that maybe there will be a period here at the beginning where folks can work together. It doesn't mean legislatively that Republicans are suddenly going to just give up and let the Biden administration do whatever they want to do. But I kind of think that there's a a real opportunity here for a a reset on tone and how we treat each other and talk about each other. And I think what he's going to try to do you know, the other dynamic that, of course, nobody's talking about because it happened Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, is that the Democrats are now going to control the United States Senate, which was, once again, everybody was predicting, including us, the opposite, that the Republicans would win at least one of those seats and they won both in Georgia, the Democrats won both in Georgia. And so they now have the Democrats now have the Senate, um, and ha- so so Biden has more power. The Democrats have more power, not not less. Um, 
how to how do you bring the country together, Mark, in that context? Well, I think what happened last week has the potential, the potential, and Joe Biden is the right president to realize that potential, if anyone can, has the potential to actually make it easier to work in a bipartisan and and truly patriotic manner for the good of the entire country by isolating Trump and isolating his more extreme and violent followers. I think last week split the Republican Party in a way that might not have happened had it not been for Georgia and had it not been for the insurrection of, of Wednesday. If Trump can be isolated and the grip that he had, the reign of terror that he imposed on the Republican Party, if that can be broken, then I think Biden has a chance to work in a more a more bipartisan manner. And I think you're you're seeing early signs of that. I think in the very few hours between the Georgia results and the rebellion on Wednesday, you even then started to see some Republicans saying uh, enough already. This guy has now cost us the White House, the House and the Senate. And then after Wednesday afternoon, there's a chance, Howard. There's a chance that that perversely, paradoxically, that that may have been the darkest hour before the dawn. Yeah, yeah. And look, I think there's a real possibility of that. But but the but there's much more progressive pressure now on Biden. There's going to be much more of an ability for him to uh, put progressive nominees through and pursue a progressive, a more progressive agenda. And and you can bet your bottom dollar that the the left of the Democratic Party is is going to put pressure on him in they, that regard. So they how tried does he, to they tried to the take him out in the that. primaries and it didn't work. If this was like a 40 or 50 year old president elect who who maybe wasn't as experienced, I'd be a little more nervous. Joe Biden this is you mean why Barack it's important. Obama? Yeah, this is why it's important that it's Joe Biden. This guy has lived a life. He's not going to feel excess pressure from progressives who want him to try and do a bunch of things he can't even do with a 50-50 Senate. This this is why Joe Biden is the man for this moment. Yeah, Caitlin, thoughts? Well, a 50-50 Senate is obviously in no way, you know, a blank check for even Joe Biden's own Biden-Harris agenda. Um, Obviously, the last time we had a 50-50 split was in 2001, um, obviously with the Republicans, with Vice President Dick Cheney being able to cast the tie vote. The committees will be, well, it depends on how they set up the Senate rules. Back in 2001, they operated under a power sharing arrangement where committees were set up with a 50-50 split with the party in control, which at that point was Republicans having the chairmanship. But it's still, it's not a blank check for, um, you know, a, a further left agenda. There's still, as we've said on this call, you know, Senator Joe Manchin just became the most important U.S. Senator in the Senate. We know his his office is already getting a lot of phone calls. There are. I, I want to know what he's going to say in his State of the Union address. 
Right, right, right. Um, but in no way is it, st- yes, Democrats have a very slim majority, but that does not mean that they're going to be able to get through everything that, that's on the agenda. And they're going to have to work for some bipartisanship, which is but hopefully going to be a good thing. Howard, look at the first act that Biden took post-Georgia pre-insurrection. He appointed Merrick Garland the attorney general. He did that because winning Georgia gave him the confidence that he could replace Garland on the District of Columbia circuit. He didn't appoint Stacey Abrams attorney general. He didn't do that because he's Joe Biden. I couldn't agree more with what Patrick is saying. Joe Biden is the president not Kamala Harris, not AOC, not even Joe Manchin, although he's more powerful probably than either Kamala or or AOC. But, But the very first thing he did was move right to the middle and do something stabilizing and dignified and, and honorable. And he did it because of his enhanced power. So I, I think there is, as I say, a chance. There's a chance that notwithstanding the, the true American carnage last week that Trump caused, there's a chance that we're in a better place to put things back together starting January 20th. But we got to get there. It, yeah. it isn't, it, it's only January 9th. Right. And the next 11 days are, are they're precarious. Precarious. Caitlin, so on the Republican side, what posture does McConnell um, adopt? What posture does Kevin McCarthy uh, adopt? It's, I mean, it's a bit of a mess. It's fractured, as Mark was saying. You had in connection with the certification of the Electoral College, you had these fiery incendiary speeches by Cruz and Hawley and and then you had McConnell giving a statesman like um, you know defense of of the election and the process and 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 the Constitution and um, how does he what what posture does he take in, in as, as we go into the next term of as we go into the Biden term? Well, I think you just said it, Howard. He continues the posture that that he took. His speech was 45 minutes, I think, before on the fl- Senate floor before we had this again mob insurrection at the Capitol. And I thought it was a, a great speech. And he encouraged his colleagues not to object to the certification of the votes. And he believes in the institution, and he believes in the Constitution, and. The way that, and again, it said, you know, we don't want to set a dangerous precedent. So I think from McConnell's perspective, he continues that, you know, he's cautioning again against just even with the logistics of impeachment, but he is having the conversation. So I think we continue to see that posture um, with him on the House side. Yeah, but Caitlin, but Caitlin, he's not going to do a personality transplant and he's not going to do a political transplant. And I mean, he's not going to suddenly do a bunch of things that that Biden wants. I mean, he defended no, the rule of law. He's um, also not the leader of the Republican Party. He's the leader of the Republicans in Congress. Maybe, maybe not in the House. Maybe only 
50 Republicans in, in the Senate. But uh, I think McConnell is not going to replace Trump as the leader of the party. What will be important and, and interesting to see is who that next leader of the Republican Party will be. The party is badly fractured by this, and someone will emerge. It will not be Josh Hawley or Ted Cruz. I'm very confident of that. They had volunteered for that role, and they went down on Wednesday along with Trump and, and the violent extreme of the party. But I don't know... Caitlin, if, if you have thoughts on, on who might pick up the pieces now. Well, I think, you know, the senators, Senator Collins, Senator Murkowski, Senator Mitt Romney, some of our more, Shelley Moore Capito, some of our more moderate, but the state, the diplomats in our party, the statesmen in our party who have been around through several administrations and that represent the core of what the Republican Party stands for. I know you say Trump's the leader of the Republican Party. I don't view him as the leader of my Republican Party. Um, and I do think that, that yes, we're at a moment of reckoning and we're going to see um, there's, there's some fracturing. But you saw immediately Illinois Representative Adam Kinzinger came out with a very strong statement. Mike Gallagher from Wisconsin. I mean, this is not... It's not one voice. It's not one monolith, and um, we're we're gonna we're gonna see that co these conversations continue. Patrick. I don't know. That's a short answer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Patrick, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I I respectfully disagree. I mean, I do think Trump is the leader of the Republican Party, whether Republicans in Washington like it or not. He is, and I think I, I just don't well, think he was. He, he was, but. You know, still, I, I, listen, there, he has tremendous support uh, out in the country amongst the grassroots populist part of the party. And even as we're all talking about what all of us agree, and I think people we talk to and work with and live around agree with about how horrible everything was, I'm fairly certain there's people out in the country who probably take a contrarian view or a conspiratorial view or just, just don't... Uh, recognize really how awful what happened was. And that I think is a problem that's going to continue on into the next four years, which is just, uh, it just feels like we're living on two different planets and, well, and how, yeah. how that divide gets bridged is, is, uh, is really the whole thing. Well, yes. Um, it's, it's fundamentally about delegitimization of, right things. It goes back to the birther controversy. And right. I mean, it's all, it's all a continuation of, of that. And so I think for me, the question is for us, how do we re-legitimize that? You know, that's what, and, and was it enough? Was it enough that Lindsey Graham went to the floor of the Senate this week and said, he's defending the electoral result after four years of um, defending Trump. And, and by the way, why was he even defending Trump? Why was he defending a guy? I mean, look, the whole Lindsey Graham, John McCain thing is overstated to some degree. And, but 
Trump was like, he ran on making a mockery out of a guy that Lindsey Graham worked with and respected. Like, is it, is it enough? Is it enough that McConnell and, and Lindsey Graham and others went to the floor and, and, and defended things? So like, how do, how do we put the genie back in the bottle? Mark, I mean, how do we, well, what, do, what do we do from here? Because this is not about a particular moment in time. It's about misinformation and delegitimization. And, and that's what needs to be dealt with. Yeah, Joe Biden is the right president at this very troubled time to begin healing the country. But Joe Biden is not going to get that job done altogether here because there are there there are symptoms and causes. And Donald Trump was both. Donald Trump did not cause the extreme right wing in this country that attacked the Capitol on on Wednesday. He caused them to attack the Capitol on Wednesday, but he didn't cause them to exist that element has existed in this country probably for Forever. 300 years yeah. but certainly that, in in modern times those aren't mark those aren't republicans they're anarchists they're white supremacists they're neo-nazis it's a, they're it's a continuum it is a continuum of the clan and the John Birch Society. Yeah, it's extremism on steroids. And more. But, but with Joe Biden, what, what, what has to happen first is the repudiation of Trump and Trumpism, which will not remove the radical right violent fringe from society. It's necessary, but not sufficient. It's a start. So is it enough for Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell in the hour of ultimate truth to actually stand up for the Constitution? No, not enough, but necessary. Necessary. Yeah. And I, I totally agree with that. What I would like to see, too, we've seen tons of op-eds and floor speeches from members saying, you know, this is outrageous. Um, calling for what needs to happen next. You know, John Kelly had an op-ed this week, uh, President Trump's former chief of staff, talking about what we need to do to elect the right kind of leaders in the future. What I would like to see, and I'm not the sort of arbiter of morality around here, but what I would like to see is people, um, you know, who served in the administration or, uh, you know, who supported him in Congress, taking a moment of reflection and saying, as I look back at my own actions and support, I'm starting to reassess decisions I made in the past. And I just am not seeing that level of kind of, everyone's quick to say, this was bad. Let's move on and look to the future. But let's let's look in the mirror a little bit too. I, I just would like to see that level of honesty. Um, and I'm, I'm not seeing as much of that. And I know that's a lot to <laughs> expect from people in Washington uh, sometimes. But But I just think that this is an important time for all of us to just sort of say, how have I acted? What type of rhetoric have I used? And it's especially important for our leaders uh, who are entrusted by the public. Look, the, the Republicans need to decide whether they want to be leaders or lemmings. Like, do you want to, and leadership to me, this is 
my personal view has always been that leadership is about a willingness to make difficult and unpopular decisions. It's easy to go with the herd. When do you stand up and say things that aren't popular? That's what has to happen. That's what that's what has to happen. 40%. And, and maybe it did happen to some degree on Wednesday and night. Just to, to rip the Band-Aid off the, the problem, um, what underlies much of this and has since the founding of the Republic is race. And the Republicans have to have a conversation about race and the Republicans and the country. We have to decide whether we are ready to confront race in an honest and in a patriotic way where the good of the country comes above the good of party or individual ambition. And and that is a very difficult conversation that, that frankly has been, we have failed at that conversation for 400 years. And I don't expect the either party overnight to perfect that conversation. But if the Republican Party is not prepared to address the role of race in the rise and fall of Donald Trump, then it is not going to get past this moment. Very, uh, very, very well said, Mark. Yeah, I think it is about um, reasserting what's what's right. Forty percent still of the Republican Party believes that the election was rigged, essentially. And go ahead, Caitlin. That's the problem that Biden is going to have to face. And I, I want to be clear: not every there were tens of thousands of people at that rally on Wednesday. Not all of them or terrible people and white supremacists and neo-Nazis, the people that infiltrated the Capitol, that angry mob, absolutely. There were a lot of regular, normal Americans who genuinely believed that the election was stolen, and that is a problem. And that's something that's not going to go away after this week. There's the 74 million Americans that voted for Donald Trump. Not all of them are this you know, right-wing, extreme, white nationalism, American-first people. And if we brush past that and we classify all of them as one. And I got some concerns with some of the silencing on social media that's making people really angry. We're feeding, we're feeding into this and we have to recognize these people and not, again, we're, it's not a monolith and not put everyone together in this, this camp. And that's the biggest challenge of Joe Biden's presidency, in my view, is going to be dealing with that. And, and the way to deal with that is what Mitt Romney said, which is to respect and honor Trump's voters by telling them the truth. The, the, the men and women who voted for Trump and believe the election was stolen are, of course, not all the extreme, violent, anti-American fringe that attacked the Capitol. But they believe the election was stolen because they were lied to. They were lied to by Trump. They were lied to by Hawley. They were lied to by Cruz and others. And the only antidote to that month, two month big lie that got told louder and louder every day since November three is is telling the truth. And I think in a way, McConnell tried to do that on the floor of the Senate and and others. 
but th- th- there has to be a truth telling now yeah for biden to have any prayer of bringing those people along but i will say and again uh, trump is the worst person ever to serve as president maybe ever to serve in the united states government period but but the fact that some enormous percentage, I think over half, Caitlin, maybe, of the Republican Party believes that Barack Obama was born in Kenya is not Donald Trump's doing. There, there is a, a societal and historical crisis in, in race in this country. And, and we got to get at the root of this with some truth telling. But yeah, but it can't be preachy. You believe X and what actually happened is, is Y. I think it has to be process. Um, it has to be, it has to be affirmation, uh, institutional affirmation. It has to be, you know, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it should be election security. It should be, there should be a commission to study um, the conduct of elections. Like this wasn't a smooth, well, it actually was kind of a smooth general election um, in in some respects, but it, it feels like, like that's in order. Like maybe you can do that without delegitimizing the result at the same time. I agree with you, Mark. It's like words matter and, and words, especially the words of leaders. I mean, they, they, they are what matter at, at all levels and especially the words of the president of the United States. And there are, there are structural process isn't the right word. But there are some there are structural things that need to be done long term, forward thinking, right. structural changes we need to make in this country to get it back to what it is. And in our institutions, I think again a lot of this. This is post. This is pre-Trump. This is the Tea Party movement in 2010. This fundamental distrust of our elected leaders and of Washington, and a feeling like Washington isn't working for these for, for you or for me or for whomever. That's, I think, the root of this more so than than Trump. And how do we, you know, have folks understand and trust our institutions again and trust Washington again? I think that's the biggest problem that that we face. I also just want to know if leaders are to a point Mark made earlier. I mean, we're talking about race and voting, and so much of this is what one of the un, you know untold or uh, lesser told stories so far. The pandemic is just the fact that the pandemic created a situation with mail-in voting where the normal ways of voter suppression were not uh, as possible, millions of people were able to vote who probably had never voted before or got to vote in a much easier way. Are our leaders able to do things that may not be in their short-term political interest, but are in the best interest of our democracy? That is like, to me, the ultimate right. test. That's leadership. That's exactly. what I was saying earlier. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. I mean... And let's face it, the people that are willing to to do it are are people that aren't running for office again. It's Pat Toomey getting up 
and defending rule of law on the on the floor of the Senate. He's not he's not running again. But that's that's why we're we're now back in in a sense to your first question, Howard, about impeachment. Right. But I think that were the next thing to happen to be impeachment by the House, conviction by the Senate, and a bar of future office holding for Trump. I think that you you that would require members of Congress who are running for re-election right. to stand up and say, this is the line in the sand. This we are we are starting over and we are not doing any of that anymore. That doesn't happen only with outgoing office holders. And there is enormous value in in getting that done, but but now we're back to the cost. And one cost yeah. is the, the delay of the launch. Another another question is whether it would happen. Impeaching, well, another question is what the consequence would be. Like do people riot in the streets? Do we see what we saw at the Capitol on steroids? Um, and in other places, but which by the way. The law enforcement response was no response. It was pathetic and abysmal and perhaps the greatest failing. I mean, Trump was the greatest failing, but the law enforcement response the other day was a close, very, very close second. I mean, they were unprepared for what was easily foreseeable, but there's going to be a response. And is that worth it? I personally think it is. Absolutely. And again, back to Mark's point on race, it's been talked about a lot, but just all the false equivalency between what happened on Wednesday and other types of protests that we saw all throughout last year uh, and people saying, well, those some of those got out of hand, so this got out of hand, so everything's the same. I don't have any memory of Black Lives Matter protests trying to enter a government building to stop the counting of electoral college votes. I mean, it's not everything is the same. And I think that people who are starting to do that as a way to kind of not have to really take a look at what actually uh, was going to happen on Wednesday. I mean, were they ultimately going to pull it off? No, but it did delay it and it and the whole world watched it. And that's going to have implications for a long time and how security is viewed in the Capitol, uh, how people view some of these very sacred democratic traditions. You saw all the world leaders chime in. It, it was just it was truly unbelievable to see. Well, it's going to be, I guess, as uh, difficult to 2021 as it was a 2020, guys, it's uh I think we were all excited to turn the page. If I got one more holiday card that said goodbye to 2020 and put it in the rearview mirror and how awful it was, you know, but. There's uh, a great meme going around. You guys may have seen it. It's a guy toasting uh, with a glass of champagne saying 2021 was a great five days on to 2022. <laughs> yeah. Well, Howard, you kicked it off by talking about how all of us work in those halls and the personal kind of experience. Yeah. I think all of us felt 
in watching that. I've talked to so many people in Washington, you know, who have worked on Capitol Hill, done business there, or even people just have fond memories of a family vacation to Washington going through the rotunda. I think there was a feeling from so many people uh, like having your house burglarized or having your church uh, burned down or, or it, it all of Being everyone violated. I've talked to. Yeah. Felt, that is the exact word. Everyone just felt violated. And I, I hope people don't forget that Mark uh, commented on a call we were on earlier this week that we can't forget this feeling in the midst of how busy we all are and the news cycle changing that that feeling of our democracy being violated has to it has to kind of remain in all of us as we as we move forward because we can't let it happen again. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a good note to end on. It's going to be it's going to be interesting. I think this notion of re-legitimization of of things is one that we'll continue to talk about and and in in how we move past this and um, difficult discussion, interesting discussion. And we will be back uh, next week to talk about more. But Mark, Patrick, Caitlin, thank you so much. And we will uh, keep talking about it. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.